and welcome to the Point of Care Ultrasound Certification Academy podcast, where we focus on POCUS. Here, we will discuss all things related to Point of Care Ultrasound, the practice, the trends, and its impact on healthcare. Our program will engage thought leaders who are defining global patient care with the stethoscope of the future. Okay, POCUS for Hospitalists, gaining more traction. And today's guest is Dr. Rebecca Davis, who is actively involved in bringing the POCUS Fellowship to Hospitalists. Rebecca is an inter- internal medicine physician at Thomas Jefferson Hospital and an assistant professor at the Sidney Kimmel Medical College. She has done her medical training and internal medicine residency at the University of Pennsylvania, where she went on to be chief resident before making the move to Jefferson. She is currently an assistant program director for the internal medicine primary care residency and associate program director for the internal medicine POCUS fellowship, which just started this year at Thomas Jefferson Medical School. She works closely with the emergency department and critical care teams to help spread her passion for POCUS across the department and participates in the Institutional Point of Care Ultrasound Committee. Right now, Dr. Davis is working to create a formalized POCUS curriculum and electives for the residency and to develop a clinical pathway for hospitalists to gain POCUS skills in addition to her fellowship and clinical responsibilities. How are you today, Rebecca? I'm great. We both have worked all over that campus there at Jefferson, and everybody makes the move across the Schuylkill. Either they're at Penn and they come to Jeff, or they're at Jeff and they go to Penn, huh? Yes, a lot of uh, interinstitutional collaboration and support, definitely. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's good. That's good. I'm glad you took the high road on that. (laughs) So, um, you know, so the first question that's popping up in my mind is, so how do you develop your POCUS skill set? If there's really no one around who's already trained, and maybe you could tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. Um, so I was fortunate enough to have um, some leadership in my clinic uh, through Dr. Barry Ziering, who really wanted to get POCUS started um, in our outpatient ambulatory clinic. And honestly, there was no one around who was interested um, except for me and and Dr. Ziering. So I quickly volunteered to, to get involved, but we realized that there was uh, no one currently in our hospitalist group or internal medicine that was already doing POCUS, and we had um, one or two critical care physicians who were credentialed. Um, so Dr. Zering helped me by building some bridges, and I reached out to our emergency medicine team um, with of Dr. Risa E. Lewis, Dr. Arthur Al, um, and Dr. Kelly Goodsell, who really took me under their wing um, and help put me on the right path to getting trained as well as to incorporating incorporating me into their team, POCUS team. Um, so the first thing that they recommended was taking a quick course so that I would get oriented. So I had actually gone down to the University of South Carolina mm-hmm. and done their weekend course of when course. you could still do in-person weekend training. <laughs> <laughs> I took that course too. It's great. Did you, is it like the primary care physician one or the weekend one, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So um, kind of based on my area of practice, which is primarily in the ambulatory setting, uh-huh. um, I wanted one that was a little bit more focused on ambulatory procedures, ambulatory care, and incorporated um, some, in addition to hospitalists, 
and uh, inpatient internal medicine physicians, some family medicine uh, physicians who are also doing a lot of outpatient POCUS, which uh, University of South Carolina does a lot of. Yeah. Um, so that weekend course was a great intro, which I think got me familiar enough that I was able to then spend some time with the ER team and start scanning on my own and bringing my images to my colleagues for review. Uh, and the biggest thing, the biggest asset I had was really my partnership with the EM team and using essentially my free time, uh, my admin to go and work with them uh, and sit in on every week on their QA and their image review and learning to, you know, all of the different facets of how they're reading, the quality, what they're looking for, um, learning some scans I don't do very much uh, because they do them in the ER. Hopefully I'm not doing a fast exam in my outpatient clinic, <laughs> but, you know, I, it <laughs> yeah. was excellent learning, excellent learning, um, and they helped me build my skill set um, so that I could become part of the IM kind of focused leadership at Jefferson to really move that forward and start to hopefully develop other individual skill set at Jefferson. I'm so glad you're championing that because I can almost see a timeline, sort of an evolution of so sonographers and then the the emergency department, which is innovative. And then it, when it was sort of in the physician sphere in the emergency department, it, you watched it filter first to hospitalists and now more and more into family medicine practice. So, yeah, uh, of course, you know, sports medicine's always been there a lot with MSK, but uh, that's great. Um let me ask you something. What do you guys, do you do a lot of ventilator management uh, with your POCUS scans? Isn't that pretty key for a hospitalist? So it, I, the ventilator management is not something that I do a lot of, but um, when it comes, when I speak with Mae West, who's one of our POCUS leaders who's in the critical care realm, she actually does uh, try to scan patients who are ventilated and she uses that, the, her lung scans to kind of assess like the success of the PEEP, um, yeah. whether, you know, um, getting a good sense of what's going on in the lungs and help with some of the titrations there. So she definitely does do a lot of that. Wow. And is this, uh, you know, I got to ask, I guess everybody's thinking, it, it, May West, is that right? <laughs> That's correct. Well, her, <laughs> she goes by... Her real name is Frances May West, but she goes by May West. Okay, so you don't have WC Fields in there scanning or anything like that, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. That's, she hears that a lot, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> that kind of lung um, scan, that, that's pretty amazing, um, and, and especially for a hospitalist to really nail that, that lung scan mm -hmm. for, for what they do and stuff. So once you're trained, and, yeah. and how, do you, how do you build a POCUS program for faculty and residents? So I think that this requires a lot of leadership buy-in, um, and mm -hmm. again, you need to accrue kind of advocates and support from other departments that have successfully done it. So if you're the for here at Jefferson in internal medicine, um, as I said, we kind of have a very small crew of people who have been focused, trained, or who have, and as we at Jefferson, we're working on our, getting our credentialing process kind of up and running. So it's a very small crew of people who are ready to go and, and use POCUS in the clinical setting. So we actually used a lot of support from our emergency medicine colleagues who have a much more robust uh, POCUS curriculum and are really well established. Yes. They helped us go to our leaders, uh, including Dr. Gregory Kane, who immediately uh, was really interested in kind of hearing more about this and then very supportive of us trying to grow a program. I think the 
question we always ask ourselves is, do you hire somebody from the outside who's already trained, or do you try to develop your faculty who are already there and have a vested interest in, or a, a real interest in learning POCUS? Um, and so we kind of went with a faculty development route or felt that that would be a really great sustainable option. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of it was really spurred on by our the uh, COVID pandemic where a lot of our hospitalists were saying, listen, I need to know how to assess a patient in the hospital quickly who is, you know, becoming more hypoxic or having more respiratory distress. I want this as a tool in my back pocket that I can quickly get, a, you know, other than using my excellent physical exam cells, sure. bring out the, uh, the the ultrasound and make some more advanced, uh, more rapid decisions and get the right teams, whether it's, uh, you know, the radiology team to get it more imaging or whether it's our cardiac team or whether it's our palm crit care team involved quickly based on my scan and assessment. Um, so that was something that really pushed this forward in a much more rapid fashion, uh, and we grew that out um, and started doing uh, essentially virtual sessions uh, with our hospitalists where we would do an online hour-long interactive lecture for those who are interested in getting trained. Um, and once they complete the, or once they participate in the hour-long lecture, our first one was on long ultrasound, obviously. Um, then we would do one-on-one scan sessions with those hospitalists so that they could build their skill set mm-hmm. and feel comfortable enough to go out and start scanning and accruing images that then we could review at our monthly QA sessions um, while we work on it so we can get these hospitalists credentialed. Um, And then essentially we will have uh, Zoom sessions, an hour-long Zoom session on different targeted scans throughout the year. So we'll do our next one will be cardiac ultrasound. They'll sit and do an hour-long session with May and myself on the Zoom session. And then we schedule with them one-on-one scan times where we scan non-COVID patients <laughs> to reduce any exposures, but we scan our, our patients in the hospital, um, usually especially ones that are on their service already when they're on service so that they can get some clinical information out of that. And then they practice on their own and we upload those scans um, during our QA sessions for review. Isn't it amazing that, um, I don't know, the, the pressing need, whether it's a pandemic or wartime, causes all these leaps in innovation and advancement in, in, in medicine. We could go talk about the Civil War forward for all this. And now you guys, you know, people are being pressed. And as we talked about before the show, uh, that the small handheld device is also easier to clean and turn over and turn around in, uh, yeah. for scanning. Definitely. I think that when, with with the onset of COVID, all of a sudden the... It, it was so much easier to to clean and pr- appropriately protect the equipment um, that was more of this handheld type focus equipment than the big machines that needed to be brought in because we wanted to make sure, of course, everything was cleaned appropriately between patients and we were following, you know, the ASAP guidelines for cleaning. Yeah. Um, so all of a sudden the POCUS machines were like even more and, and POCUS providers were even more sought after because we could quickly get in and out of the room. And it was, if it, especially if you're the primary provider, you're already in the room caring for that patient. So you're reducing exposure for sure. other individuals in the hospital too. So that's a huge benefit. Yeah. Fascinating. So how are you integrating your POCUS uh, 
into your clinical flow in in regards to the ambulatory uh, setting? How's that going? Yeah, so it's 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 been a challenge. It it in the ambulatory setting, I have about twenty minutes per patient, so that's tight given the array of issues I'm already covering. Yeah. So one of the things that was most important was getting uh, a skill set to a place where speed was part of my skill set. <laughs> <laughs> and so sure. at the very be- yeah. At the beginning, what I did was, uh, I, most of my scans I did with our, in the ER, I did some scans just at the ER. I went into the hospital and helped uh, and did some scanning there. And then I, in my clinic, when I was scanning, I just had to be okay with running late at the beginning while I was learning and just kind of owning that. <laughs> um, and then if I knew a patient needed to come in for a scan, like they had some right upper quadrant pain that I was, that was their clinical concern, I tried to bring them in um, at a time where maybe I would have a little bit of a buffer, maybe right before lunch, maybe mm-hmm. um, during an admin session if, I, if they called me at noon and they had an issue that I thought would benefit from a scan, I would try to bring them in during my admin in the afternoon um, so that I had the free time to really get into the scan, get the images I wanted. And then as I sped up uh, and got faster, the trick was just making sure everything's fully charged and ready to go so I can just pop back to my office, grab the, um, the machine, and head into the room. And it's, you know, a quick scan to answer a focused clinical question doesn't take terribly long. Usually maybe with undressing and positioning the patient, you know, five to ten minutes top to bottom if you can, if you can be speedy. And then sure. uh, you have a lot of information that you can save time on the back end uh, with some of your clinical decision-making. So I, in the end, I think it comes out in the wash. I don't run super late anymore. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's improved. Procedure-wise, I think it's been made my procedures faster. Yeah, yeah. So um, things like draining abscesses, if you're looking at an area of cellulitis on somebody and you're not sure if there's a collection in the old days, uh, you kind of be like, I think I feel a collection, and you may try to drain it. Um, now I know that there's a collection. I'm focused where I'm cutting. I'm focused where I'm uh, draining. I, I know that I've drained the entire collection. I can move on, and my procedure is much more uh, efficient from those perspectives. Yes, it's nice to see, you know, the cobblestones and things like that. That uh, good, And it's, it's really exciting for me to talk to you today because, uh, you know, I was at Jefferson for about six years um, when POC is in its infancy, and it's just great to see it's finally getting traction and really happening. And it's, I, I don't know how much it's integrated into M1, M2, but it's great that it's going from the top down. And I, I'm, I'm glad you, you do good work. You're doing great work. It's been a lot of fun. And I think everyone involved has learned a lot about, you know, building consensus. And the best part, I, and I know you know this, that the POCUS community is so warm and welcoming. So whether we're reaching out across the street to Penn and one of our colleagues, Cam uh, Baston, uh, over at the University of Pennsylvania, Mm -hmm. who had also uh, started an internal medicine ultrasound fellowship, um, or whether we're collaborating with them, we do uh, a regional critical care ultrasound program called PA CUSP, uh, the Philadelphia Area Critical Care Ultrasound Program. That has been hugely helpful to say, listen, we're, we're growing. We need this skill set. Let's all partner up in this area. Um, it, it's such a warm and welcoming community that we've gotten a lot of support to kind of grow this and demonstrate, you know, 
tell kind of tell stories about how did you demonstrate need? How did you talk to the C-suite about this? Like, how did you yeah. um, get the fellowship off the ground and how did you fund it? Um, those kind of questions, the more you ask friends and colleagues around the country in internal medicine and emergency medicine and family medicine, uh, all of those teams kind of pooling together created a lot of momentum at Jefferson, which was has been great and, and just a wonderful community to be part of. Excellent. Boy, that's music. That's music to my ears. <laughs> so uh, 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 one of the things, let's talk about differences. So uh, what do you think POCUS for the, how do you think POCUS for the uh, hospitalist is different when compared to, say, POCUS for a primary care physician? So I think there are a couple things that jump out. Uh, the uh-huh. first, of course, is timing. Um, so for a primary care physician, you're going to need to be a little bit, you're going to need to be very focused, very speedy because of the time constraints that are available. And the upside to the hospitalist is that the patient doesn't need to leave after, you know, 30 minutes. Like if, you, if the scan takes you 30 minutes, that's okay. Um, they're going to be there. <laughs> yeah. um, the other thing that is help, very different is the degree to which patients are kind of unknown. Um, I think of primary care in the same way I think of the ER, where people come in as true unknowns, um, where they haven't had any, there's no lab work yet, there are no other additional imaging when they walk into your office. And so um, really getting a great uh, ultrasound scan in in primary care can dramatically change, um, you know, some, or can not dramatically, but can significantly improve. your clinical decision-making and kind of getting to the diagnosis in a more rapid manner. When it comes to hospitalists, I think that a lot of what they do, um, hopefully they get to put the scans in, but they are looking for uh, a lot of times change in presentation, that acute respiratory failure, the nuance-set chest pain, the, like, unilateral leg swelling, you know, the things that they want to get into that are a change in the patient, usually sometimes not their initial presentation because the ER has done a lot of work up before they go upstairs. Um, That is one subtype of difference. But I also think the acuity, like hospitalists are just seeing uh, the degree of illness and the degree of kind of abnormal scans that they're going to see is much higher. My clinical practice as an outpatient, I'm going to see if I do, you know, five cardiac ultrasounds, many of those patients are going to have normal cardiac ultrasounds. Sure. When I'm on the inpatient, the degree to which you're going to see abnormal cardiac ultrasound is much higher. So uh, they're going to pick up um, a lot of great learning um, and also um, quicker, uh, quicker skill set when you're training to get to the, a lot of abnormal studies. Wow, Dr. Rebecca Davis, making it happen. I'm so glad. Youth an agent for change. It's actually happening. I'm thrilled. Trust me. I'm so happy that you're here and that you're at Thomas Jefferson Medical School and helping the hospitalists bring it down the field. So it was great having you today on today's podcast. It's an honor and we thank you for all you're doing to increase patient safety. Great. Thanks so much. Thanks for having us. And um, don't forget, for more POCA style topics, follow us on Facebook at POCUS Cert Academy and Twitter at POCUS Academy. Thanks a lot, Becca. We appreciate it. And um, tell Barry I said hi, and thank you so much for all you do. Will do. Thanks so much for having me. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. 
Be sure to join us at Twitter at POCUS Academy and Facebook at POCUS CERT Academy. If you'd like to learn more about the POCUS community, visit us at POCUSworld.org. Take a look at participating in our POCUS 25 research. Help contribute to the scientific development of the top 25 point-of-care ultrasounds. And we'll see you next time. The thoughts and opinions expressed in this podcast are the views and opinions of the guests and not those of Intelios. This podcast is for information purposes only.